Welcome to the Disruptor Network Podcast. Kent Ritter is a former management consultant and corporate executive turned full-time real estate investor. He is now CEO of Hudson Investing, a multifamily investment firm that's helping real estate professionals and professionals alike scale their real estate portfolios. He found financial freedom and he's teaching others to find theirs. This is a great podcast. You don't want to miss this. So now, Kent Ritter. Ignition. Liftoff. Welcome back to the Disruptors Network. And I have Kent Ritter here today. And, uh, you know, we just talked in this intro that he's uh, a multifamily guru. So I have some questions myself. And Kent is the CEO of Hudson Investing. And Kent, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ralph. Appreciate having me on, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was on, I was on your podcast before and, and we kind of got into this conversation a little bit. But when I really started going through your, your um, I, I did some research on you, I watched some podcasts you were on before and you've been on plenty. Um, and you have an interesting story. I, you know, you went from being someone who sold a, a business as an entrepreneur into real estate and then multifamily investing. Can you just give me a little background on what that story is? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you just, you mentioned I, I've been on a lot of podcasts, so I had a goal to be on a, a hundred this year. Oh, that's awesome. I, I'm, I've done like 65. That's so I've been, I've been on a lot of podcasts this year. Yeah. <laughs> Speak about that because that's something people try to do and it's not that easy. Dude, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, I, I, I've slowed down a little bit. I was doing, some days I was doing like five or six a day, wow. uh, you know, during kind of a, a couple months ago, really to like get the numbers up. So, so yeah, no, we could definitely talk about that, but, <laughs> but as far as, um, as far as kind of my backstory of selling the business and getting into real estate. So, so the, the quick version is, you know, I graduated from college, had, had a finance and, and econ degree, and I went into management consulting uh, because I thought management consulting was going to be the best way that I could learn as, as much about like how to run a business as, as possible. Because what management consultants do is we essentially fly around the country working with different businesses, helping them solve problems. So I thought, OK, I can do this for a few years. It'll give me a great experience because like I always had this entrepreneur, this entrepreneurial streak. Right. I always knew I wanted to to own my own business. But coming out of college, I didn't know what that business should be yet. So I kind of said, okay, well, how can I learn as much about how to run a business so that once I know what that is, like I'm gonna be in a good place to be, right? And so that so that's how I got into to management consulting was to really like set that framework. And it, and it was awesome because I got to work with, God, I don't know how many, but hundreds of different businesses and see inside them, see what made them work, what made them not work. Really start to see some themes on like, like what doesn't work because really they never called us when things were good right they always <laughs> called us when things are bad so like there's more about what didn't work than what than what did but i was able to glean like okay don't do it this way <laughs> and uh so anyway so i expected to do that for like three five years well three years into my career some colleagues and i actually left the firm that we were at a larger firm to start our own consulting firm and that was the business that we ran we ran that from 2010 to 2015 and we sold that at the end of 2015. And so it was a kind of like a just crazy startup experience. It's, it's like what you would see on TV where it's literally, you know, like five guys around a, a coffee table in somebody's kitchen, you know, and then we actually got kicked out because we ate uh, 
my partner, we ate his wife's uh, Girl Scout cookies one day and she, and, and she was like, that's the final straw. Like you guys got to get out. You got, you got to get an office. And so, so fast forward, we end up with 95 employees, um, about 30 million in annual revenue a year. And we decide it's, it's time to exit. And so we sold at the end of 2015. And that was really what started my real estate career. Cause I had this capital, um, you know, I knew I didn't want to just invest in the stock market. I wanted to find alternatives. And so I started digging into real estate, started with uh, a family friend who was a commercial lender. He, he got me involved in a few things more on the debt side. Uh, and then I got a, I got a closing statement one day for a house that I, I had the note on and I'm like, man, this is cool. I'm getting my loan paid back, but, but this guy doubled his money in like two years from for the equity in this house. So I'm like, I'm on the wrong side of this. I need to start buying assets. And so that really set, set me down the path. Um, I had a few mentors who really led me. I was able to skip that whole like single family piece and, and from some good mentorship and move right into multifamily and understand the benefits there. And then move in even from buying my own multifamily, like just to syndication and learning what syndication is, which the simplest way to explain syndication is you're just pooling your money together with others to go buy something bigger and better than you could on your own, right? So, so what I do now is I put those deals together for people, bring investors in, we all pool our money together, and then we go buy something something big and bad out there that that can make us a lot of money. And so, so yeah, so all that kind of you know, if you do fifteen, I started. I started learning, I started investing passively with other syndicators to really learn the business and kind of see behind the scenes, okay, how does this all work? So I invested in like 10 deals in 2016. I've invested in a handful of other deals since then, but I backed, but then in 19, I co-sponsored my first uh, syndication. Okay. And I would say even in that one, you know, everything I've done, every step along the way has been been like a step as a new, a new level of learning. So even in that one, I wasn't like guns blazing, buying 250 units, going to do it all on my own. We bought 250 units in Atlanta, but I did it with a group of some guys I knew who had done a few syndications, were more experienced than me. And I would say I was more sitting like shotgun on the deal. Like I was, I was right there in the front seat, right? I was helping them do things, but they were leading a lot of the strategy and, and, and still walking me through the process from being the sponsor. And so again, it was a great learning experience. We just sold that deal in June, actually had like a 25% IRR back to our investors. It was a fantastic return. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was a great first learning experience. And then from there in, in 2020, kind of the next level of my learning experience, a mentor of mine owns a large private equity firm in Indianapolis. It's a multifamily firm. It's all they do. They have 15,000 doors. And he saw I was having some success over here. And he's like, hey, why don't you come join our platform? You can grow 10X on our platform because we already have everything set up and you can really build your business with us. And so I said, yeah, that sounds compelling. You know, it's kind of this idea of, do you keep a, a big piece of a small pie or a smaller piece of a gigantic pie, yeah. right? But I always saw it as, as an education source. I looked at it as like, okay, this is my real estate MBA. Go in and work with these sophisticated guys, understand how they do things. You know, and it's just that next level of education. And so, so I, I stayed there for about a year and it was a good partnership, but at the end of the day, that entrepreneurial streak, I can't shake it. And I wanted to be back out on my own. Uh, I felt like I'd learned a lot, but, but I felt like I had, I felt like the value became a little lopsided in, in like what I was giving back versus getting. And so decided to get back out on my own and, and really replant my flag for Hudson investing, which I'd started in 2019 and 
so since about May, uh, I've been operating in that way and, and we've got, you know, three deals under contract right now that we're working to close three large apartment syndications. And, and so we've really just been hitting the ground running. I mean, um, you, the steps you've taken throughout your process are, are like everything I preach to people, go learn from somebody else, go learn from somebody else's mistakes. Like even when you got mm -hmm. your degree and what you were working at as a manager consultant is like the perfect training ground. Um, yeah, it's let me get inside somebody else's company. Yep. see the mistakes they're making. Why do they need me to fix them and then come up with a solution? But it's not on my dime. Yeah. Like, you know, they're paying for me to do this. So yeah, that's exactly you, right. How did you discover that that was the right process? Because it seems like throughout your whole career, that's been your process. Let me go learn from somebody else first, low risk, higher reward. And then, yeah. then I'll take the risk on. Yeah. You know, I, I just, um, I think I'm a fairly risk adverse person uh, as far as like, I'm willing to take the right risks, but I, but I don't want to take dumb risks. And, and I think you take dumb risks when you don't have, you can never have perfect information, but you should at least have uh, yeah. something. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I've just, I found the success formula, which I, I don't like looking back, you're right. It is kind of formulaic in the way I've done it, but I, I never set out really. It just kind of, oh, yeah. it just kind of seems to work, but it is like, exactly like you said, it's find folks that know more than I do align myself with them, you know, whether through, through a, a you know, through a job or through a paid mentorship program or by providing value to an unpaid mentor, I've done all these things and try to learn from them. Uh, and try to avoid and, and use that to avoid those big mistakes. And so everything that I've done, I've tried to have kind of a safety net, right? Of somebody or someone that I can go to, uh, because I, I'm just self-aware enough to know that there's a lot I don't know. And, and there's a, like a whole hell of a lot that I don't even know. I don't know. Right. And when I'm getting into something new, I want to have those guardrails to make sure that, okay, you can swerve on the road, but make sure you're not going to hit a tree. Right. Like, that that's how I kind of look at things. So God, and, and, and credit to you. It takes a lot of patience to do what you're doing. And I think a lot of what, um, all this information, and I think a younger generation, they're bombarded by all this information now, which I didn't have when I was younger. Um, there was less information available, but I think some of that information is a detriment to them because it makes their process. They want instant results, instant gratification, and it takes yeah. patience to really build something great. So I think some of that is adjusting to what, is new and it's just we have all this information and we think we can be successful immediately and it really takes time right um, and, and done is, is you've had patience and it does yeah and it has been patience but but it, it, it to me it's felt like growth the entire way you know it's each, each step of the process has felt like growth and so it hasn't been something for me that's been as much of a grind you know i mean it's been i guess you're right like it, it was like a a four-year process from going from starting in real estate to actually just being a part of even my first deal. Right. So, I mean, it was kind of a process, but it was, it was, I like, there's a lot to, there's a lot to know. Right. And, and now I'm at the point where, cause a lot of people partner to, um, supplement their, uh, their deficiencies. Right. And, and that is a very sound way to do business. Right. But, but I also feel like I'm at the point now where I under I know the entire process front and back. I don't really have to partner to to you know to to cover a deficiency in in in, in an area, and so that allows me a ton of freedom. It also allows me to maintain control and to maintain all of the equity. And I can hire employees and contractors because I know what I need to do, and and I know the best way to do it. And because 
going back to my consulting days, like I have standard operating procedures and, you know, and it's a process I can easily bring people into. And, and so I think there's, there's a lot of benefits to that. I think the partner quick model is ultimately uh, a formula that, that does not lead to success. And that's, but that's the path I see a lot of people take yeah. is, Hey, there's three people. We kind of like each other. Let's slam it together and let's go yeah. buy a $20 million apartment building. Yeah, you're right. And it's with that, um, their short-term, it's same thing. I think that their short-term goal is so, at such a level, they're willing to compromise to get to that short-term goal, which is take on partners. Well, you're in a situation right now where you're like, look, I don't have to compromise, but I will if it makes sense for me based off my standard operating procedure. Right. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Anymore. So that, that, I think that's great. Um, I think that you have a, a very, very good process at this point. Do you prefer to be in control of the deals now? Or how are you looking at multifamily investing now? Like, is it, hey, I want to work on bigger projects, so I'm still willing to partner? Or are you targeting a certain unit count or something like that on deals? Yeah. So really the the unit count has really become more of uh, kind of a minimum of there's just like i've done the smaller deals like the smallest deal i've I, i've ever done is 29 units okay. and um you know i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that again like like unless it's a very unique circumstance i mean there's some so probably 50 up but from from the top end um especially after going, you know, and working at that big private equity firm. I mean, everybody says this, but it's a hundred percent true. The bigger, the bigger it is, the easier it is, honestly. Uh, and, and a lot of that is because you can, you can have dedicated management and you can have more sophisticated management and you can have more resources, whether it's technology, whether it, you know, it's systems, whether it's people, to run that thing. So, I mean, it's a heck of a lot easier to run a 200 unit property than it is to run a 30 unit property. That, you know, and, and that's the opposite of what you would think logic would be. Yeah, yeah, but it's true. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. And so the only thing previously keeping me there was, was capital constraints of, do I have enough investor money to go and buy these big deals? Uh, I'm not as capital constrained anymore. So I'm able to, to go after bigger deals because my network has grown substantially. And so, you know, the, the focus has become, you know, I'm still finding these niche deals, right? Like, like we, we do have some direct to seller strategies that we do where we, if we can get things off market at a great discount, like, yeah, it's going to make sense. It's going to be a home run. So I'll do a 30 unit home run all day, yeah. but, but it's just as much work to buy a 30 unit as it is to buy a 200 unit from like the process you have to go through. And honestly, some things are harder, like the debt is harder, you know, so, so some of the financing is more difficult, things like that. On the uh, smaller may, projects, which again- On the smaller it, projects, it's yeah. the opposite of what traditional logic is, but on you, in your world, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah, yeah. The, because the, the big ones have these systems, have, have yeah. these Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, these organizations that are that are dying to give money, uh, you know, for these larger projects that they can see are very kind of cookie cutter. You know, they don't like the ones with a bunch of hair on them, but if you can yeah, give yeah, them something yeah. that's very cookie cutter, like they'll they'll lend you all day. So, so yeah, in many ways, these larger ones are smaller. Now, the smaller ones, from just a pure dollar for dollar return standpoint, in my experience, have been much better. Have had higher returns, but you got to you got to do the extra work for it. Or work, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that makes for somebody who's completely naive to what what you're doing, um, and they want to get into large scale multifamily investing. I know you started. Um, I believe you started with crowdfunding, for, with, uh, uh, with somebody else's crowdfund first, or something that way. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do you suggest people get in to start? 
Yeah. So, so I started investing passively with other people first. Right. And, and I did that because one, like I wanted the returns and that was how I, that was the only way I knew how to get real estate exposure at the time. Two, I wanted to use it as a learning experience. Right. Again, we talked about educating yourself, like to get behind the curtain on these deals by being actually invested in them and understand why are the syndicators doing this? Why are they doing that? Why'd they fund this that way? Why did they uh, pick that renovation plan? Like, like, right, ask all these questions. So I think personally, it, it was great for me to do that. I would recommend others do that as well. I think it's a great way to get familiar with the business is to like start investing with others who are doing it and learn from them through that process. Now that can again be a slower process, right? I mean, it could be a couple year process, but but that was a great way for me to learn. The crowdfunding thing you mentioned, I did my first two real estate investments on a crowdfunding site in 2015. And one of them I lost all my money on because the guy committed fraud. And uh, and so my big lesson there, which I try to tell everybody on every podcast is, look, I got burned because I didn't do the due diligence I should have done. I had no idea who this guy was and I didn't check on who this guy was. And I don't know if he had, I mean, the guy could have had a rap sheet, you know, 15 pages long, I would have never known it. Um, and unfortunately he was a bad guy. And unfortunately a bunch of people lost their money because of it. But, but my lesson learned is like, before you make an investment, like vet the sponsor, speak to the person, get on the phone with them, at least like verify that when you talk with this person, you feel like they have integrity and there's somebody yeah. that you can like resonate with. Right. Um, cause your personalities just may clash and like, that's not going to be a good working relationship either. So at least get on the phone, do that due diligence. I mean, ask for references if you want to, I have people do it all the time. Um, but like, it's all about the sponsor. Cause for me, it was like, oh, it's all about the deal, right? Oh, here's a deal in Houston. I'm scrolling down. It's like, oh, that looks like a good deal. Mm, boom, click invest. It's amazing how fast you can just invest in something. Give me your money. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but but it's not about the deal. It's not even about the market. It's about the sponsor first. F find the person you want to invest your money with and then worry about what markets and, and, and then what deals they're doing. But like build long-term relationships with, with people that you're going to invest your money with. Yeah, that, that's awesome advice. I was gonna, that was going through my next question, like how do you avoid some of the mistakes you made up front? But you know, in, in your situation, the money you lost on that deal was probably worth the learning experience to what you, you've learned yeah. on the go forward, because I'm sure yeah. you've made more money because you've vetted more people at this point. So um, that's right. That's yeah. right, man. I mean, it's like some, I don't know who like originally said that, but there's a quote. It's like, you're going to pay for your education one way or the other. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's like, so true. Yeah. yeah I, and every aspect of my life, I've learned that, that you're going yeah. to pay for one way or the other. So um, yeah. what, where are you looking right now? Uh, I know you're based in the Midwest, but I, I know you, yeah. you say Jim Dillon Lance, so like, where are you looking at markets right now that you think are strong markets to be looking in for, for this type of stuff or just in general real estate? Yeah. So, uh, so I live in Indianapolis and so, you know, I look in Indianapolis, Indianapolis has been a really strong city with a lot of growth, um, over the past few years and, and, and something I, and I'll relate Indy to kind of the other cities I look at. And so, so one thing that I like about Indy is it's got, a lot of job diversity, meaning there's not like one employer that if that employer leaves, the city is going to fall apart, right? Like there, there, there isn't one industry in Indianapolis that makes up more than like, I think it's like maybe 22% is the biggest like of, of, of the pie, right? So there's like not one industry that's just going to leave and, and wipe us out. Furthermore, employers, there's a lot of different big employers there. Um, also, it's, it's the city, county, and state seat of government. So there's a lot of government jobs. 
there's multiple universities. So there's a lot of higher education jobs. There's a lot of healthcare jobs. So think about government, higher ed, healthcare. Those are all non-cyclical jobs. Those are jobs that whether the economy is doing good or bad for the most part, like they're gonna be there. Those are good solid jobs, right? So you look for cities with good job profiles like that. And then the next thing you wanna look for is job growth because rent growth and job growth pretty much move one-to-one. -one. There's nothing that's like closer, close, more closely correlated to rent growth than job growth. Because if you think about why people live where they wanna live, they live there mostly because of it's close to where their job is, right? Uh, now in this remote world, that's changed a little bit, but historically that's true. And, and for the people living in my apartments, which is very much workforce housing, people with a you know, median household income of like 40 to 60, 65,000 a year, those are people that largely are not working remotely. They're going to a job. They, they are construction workers. They're working retail. They're, you know what I mean? So they're still, they're living close. You make it easier to predict because that, that income level is mostly going to a job. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, so I like cities like that. And then, and so cities like that would be like Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, Louisville, uh, Lexington with University of Kentucky. These are all cities where we have properties. Um, even Dayton, Ohio, Day Dayton's overlooked, but Dayton's got a, they got a nice university. They got some things going on there. Um, so, you know, I, so we look for cities like that. And then in general, additionally, the Midwest has, has seen booms from a couple of things. One is logistics. So Indianapolis has a stat where you can reach like 75% of the United States within one day from Indianapolis because of the highway network and because it's so centrally located. So Indianapolis has the second largest FedEx facility in the world here. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky is the North American headquarters for UPS and have their big world port. Um, and then up and down every highway, you've got all these Amazon distribution centers, Walmart distribution centers. I mean, the amount of warehouses that are going up in the Midwest is, is just crazy. And so we, we've seen a, a great boom because of that. And, and that's not something I really see slowing down. Um, and, and then the other thing that we've seen is we've actually seen huge tech job growth because of this remote work environment now where people can move to a lower cost of living place um, and they can they can maintain their same job they had when they were living in San Francisco or in New York or somewhere else where it's three to five X more to live. I mean, yeah. you know, I used to live in Chicago and, and the price of a home in Chicago is literally three times the price of a home in, in, in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you hit it on the head too. I think that people's habits because of what's gone on in the last year and a half have changed. And yeah. then it'll probably be forever changed for, you know, even I'm in New York city and, um, you know, they were talking about people going back to work in September and I'm sure some people will, but now they're talking about if you're not vaccinated, you can't come back. And, and that, but even the people that are coming back, even in the financial businesses, depending on your position, some people are going to be back 60%. Some people are going to be back 70, 80, 90%. So yeah. I think everything has changed at this point, yeah. you know, it, it, and I think we have to adjust the trends. Um, that's great insight, by the way, like, you, that you're looking at the logistics of places and um, if they travel to work, whether if they don't, or if there's this, you know, and you're right, warehouses are going up all over the place. So it's really interesting. I, so I have another question now. At yeah. what point did you get to the level where you, you realized you had to look at those? Because I think even if you're a single family um, property buyer or whatever it is, like those are really important stats. Like when did you realize that that was important for you, for what you were going to buy and how are you accessing that stuff? Yeah, you, you know what? It's definitely evolved over time, right? And, and and as I've as I've just gotten more and more sophisticated, and as I've seen more deals, and I've really like 
like this was the thing about consulting was we were always trying to find when we went to a new business we were always trying to figure out basically we'd say like okay what are the levers that you can pull that really impact that business because there's usually like three or four things right that, that really can drive the needle and so that's like how i think about multifamily investing too or like what are the few things where you can really simplify this that really matter and like just jobs it's like really it's about jobs yeah. and and if you follow the jobs like you're you're gonna be you're gonna be fine and um but and you know and going to work at, at the the big pe firm i mean and seeing how they did things obviously that led me to a whole different level of sophistication on what we look at I mean, there's a whole list i could go down beyond yeah. what we talked about but but i think it, it's critical because like it's just like you said with the single family stuff and like 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 the real estate adage of like location 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 right like it's true there's a reason people say that and that's why even in multifamily it's just as true in multifamily if you buy in a in a bad neighborhood you know in an area where there's no jobs like it can look the best on your spreadsheet like you can make your spreadsheet say whatever you want right and the, and the returns could look amazing but then you got to translate that in the reality and, and like and if you're in an if you're in an area where the population's not growing, where major employers have left, and there's just not a lot going on, it's going to be tough to realize your business plan because you don't have that growth around you to support you wanting to raise rents and fix them up and do all this stuff, right? So you've got to you've got to make sure that the market and then the sub market that you're in are places that that people want to be, and you've got to have like a really good you should be able to explain to people pretty easily, like why it makes sense. People want to live there, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, um, and, but yeah, I mean, but it's, it's super critical. I know. I think it just what you said, I think if somebody did their due diligence that way, whether they were buying the house for themselves or they were buying it for investment purposes, just that, and a lot of this information is out there, but you know, just doing that kind of due diligence would, would make you, it would be a better purchase long-term. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you have, um, so obviously I said, I feel like you're a patient and you go through a process at this point. Do you have certain long-term goals um, and short-term goals at this point, like yearly or, or how, how do you, how do you do, set those goals for yourself with time frame or whatever? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good question. And uh, you know, I I've reached a lot, a lot of my goals that I had uh, over the past couple of couple years I've reached. Um, and so really it's a time for me where, where I need to spend some time kind of reevaluating now uh, yeah. on some, on, on what the next level of a lot of these things are. Cause I had goals of like, I wanted to reach, um, well, I told you about the one I, I wanted to do a hundred, uh, podcast interviews. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I'm, and I'm on track to do that. That's a short-term one. That's all about just spreading awareness of, of my brand. Um, I had another one where I wanted to get my, uh, my podcast to, uh, 10,000 downloads a month. And, and we're, we're there, we've hit it. We're not, you know, I'm between like eight and 10,000 a month right now, but we've, we've hit it. And so again, that's another one where I thought it was going to take a lot longer. So it's like, okay, well, well now where are we going to take it? Right. Then my next goal for the podcast is to really monetize it so it can support itself. Um, and, but then from a real estate standpoint, my goal is to, you know, right now what I've, I've been setting up a lot of those standard operating procedures we talked about. Right. And, and so my goal is to continue to, and I've got six to seven, uh, virtual assistants and contractors that are working for me right now in, in different capacities. And so my goal over time though, is to transition into a more 
kind of traditional structure where I have some key, some key people I can bring in, um, you know, into the business as employees and really move from being, being in it day to day to be able to work on it and be more strategic as I bring in like a director of acquisitions, a director of investor relations and a director of marketing. Like I want to grow the business in a way so, so I can spend my time strategically working on it and not in those day-to-day swim lanes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I heard um, an old interview with Jeff Bezos recently, and he said, you know, when I first started on Amazon, I would have to answer 100 questions a day. And, and now I only answer three or four questions a day, but they're really important questions. Yeah. But then he also said, if you, if you came to congratulate me on our great quarter, I would have no idea what you were talking about because I'm, I'm always thinking three and four years down the line. The person that's running the quarter is the, the, the president now and the CEO now, but I'm not thinking about right. that stuff. And that right. really resonated with me for business purposes because um, he's got to be in his highest and best use every single day. And his highest and best use is thinking for the future. And what are we going to, what's next, right? Yeah. So that's my question to you at this point now. Like, I see the plan. And what do you think your, your highest and best use is for yourself, for what you want to do and for where you could be most effective every single day? Yeah, my highest and best use is, is really in two things with the business right now. It's, it's in building relationships with my investors and creating new relationships with investors. And then two is building relationships with brokers and new relationships with brokers and, 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 and using those relationships to expand into new markets. And so, so that's the way from the start of this business, I was trying to be very intentional and use a lot of the lessons, all those lessons I've learned. Right. And the way that I'm trying to look at it is look, if anything is not doing one of those two things, then I need it off my plate. And I've got to find somebody, somebody else to take that. And so that's how I've ended up having like six or seven virtual assistants, uh, even at this point, doing various things for me. Yeah. I mean, that- but that's great. And this goes back to what I said about you originally. You're, you know, this is a great conversation to talk about. Like I have a plan. I had some kind of long-term structure in my mind and I'm still working on that structure, but that's where I'm headed. Like I yeah. think that you're, you're very intentional about that. And that's probably why you've had so much success. Yeah. I mean, my, my goal in 2000, maybe 16, let's say, was to be was to be actively syndicating my own deals and leading my own deals, right? That took four, really five years, let's say, eh, four, whatever to get there. Um, but that that has been a major goal for me for a long time. And now I'm here this year doing that on my own completely. And so that's a big one now where I got where I really need to say, okay, well, What's what that? next, right? Yeah, what because that has been, that has been like the mountain far off in the distance for the past four or five years for me. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's a good mountain to be, it's a good mountain to be on at this point now. So that's, that's congratulations that you're there. First of all. Yeah. I mean, and the coolest thing about it, Ralph, honestly, is like, I love what I'm doing. Like, I can't say I always loved what I was doing, you know, like even when I was a, a management consultant, I mean, that professional services work is hard because like oftentimes we're being hired by like the board of directors or like a CEO, but the people we're working with day to day are like the mid-level managers and like none of them wanted us there. Yeah. They so, want, yeah. yeah. It, it was, it was like, why are you looking under my rock? You know, why, why are you trying to dig up, you know, my dirt, stuff like that. And, uh, so, so I got burnt out on that. The thing that I was passionate about was, was growing our own business you know, not as much the services that we were delivering. Sure. And, and so I, I had a period, and that's why a lot of us kind of got to that burnout point. That's why we decided to sell one of the reasons. We also got 
a really good offer. But, um, but for this, like, I don't see myself getting burnt out. Like I, I just love it. Like I'm just having fun. I'm, I'm like a deal junkie now where I just love finding, I love finding that like diamond in the rough deal. I'm like, nobody, nobody understands the value here. Like I'm going to create all this value. It's going to be amazing. Right. And then seeing it come to fruition is so cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I completely agree with you with, with, as far as the real estate side goes, like, I think my highest ambition when it comes to that, to my portfolio is looking for the properties, finding the right properties, finding the right markets. And I love doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I would love to do more of that because I'm passionate about it. So it's fun. You know, like yeah. it, it's really fun to me. And I never don't want to do that. I always want to do it. So I, I, I know what you're feeling. It, it's that feeling being in something where uh, it's really, really, you're like, I really am enjoying this. The whole process of it, I'm enjoying. So yeah. I'm just trying, I've tried to set up my portfolio where I can do more of that every single day. Mm -hmm. And literally to the point where um, all the other stuff, I, I try not to be involved in it at all if I can. I, once a week I'll meet on it, but I don't want to talk about maintenance. I don't want to talk about right. um, guest services. I don't want to talk about all that stuff. I, I really want to contribute because it's better off for everybody else too if I just do that every single day because this is how we're going to bring in more Yeah, Yeah, 100% because you create so much more value doing that than, than you know answering those questions. And, and the only way that you can – the only way that you can ever get out of those day to day is like what I'm is like, you got to create the standard procedures, right? So everybody yeah. knows what to do. And then, and then you got to be willing to delegate, which is, which is hard for a lot of people, right? Is being able to just give up control. And, and the hardest thing about giving up control is you got to be comfortable with like, like 80% is going to be good enough because okay. nobody's okay. ever going to do it as good uh, as you would, right? Like it's not their business, right? You know, it's not their baby. So like, like those are hard concepts to get around. And, and that, that goes back to like my consulting days of like trying to like get that into people's heads. <laughs> Cause that, that was one of those, that's one of the major thing. I talk about like key things that make, don't make, make businesses fail or just not grow is one of them is the, the inability to delegate and give up control. Yeah. So, you know, when, when people come to me, like I want my, my business is broke and I always look at it as two things and I always tell them the same thing. I think there's a hole in your process and the hole in your process is either something you're doing every single day that um, you can't control to crapshoot whether it's going to go good or bad. That's a hole in your process. How do you fix that? And, or you're not delegating. So you've created a ceiling for yourself that you can't get through and you're never going to get through because you're not willing to delegate. Yeah. So you've reached your capacity and that's what it's going to be. So either get used to that or learn how to delegate, right? So it's right. not that easy to convince no. me. No, it's not. It, it, it's not. I mean, it's something that it's a learned skill, I think like anything else, you know, and it's something that you have to get, get comfortable with. And, um, but, but it is, it is the only way to, to, I think really grow. And it's the only way to reach your highest and best use, right? Cause none of that stuff you said is, is going to create as much value in your business as, as like you said, finding good properties, finding good markets. Right. So, so that, that's how I'm trying to look at it too, is like, what can I do day to day to create the most value? And, and I'm not there yet. I mean, we're still building this thing. So oh, I'm, yeah. my hands are in everything, but, but eventually that's my goal to get there to like, like, I love, I love what you said about, uh, Bezos of like, you know, I'm always yeah. looking three, three, four years down the road. Like, like that's the right perspective for the leader at the top, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I listened to a podcast recently, um, with the, uh, the CEO of Compass, uh, uh, Refkin. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the interview was interviewing him mostly about real estate and what, you know, how we built the agency and, how, and, and, um, I got to the end of it and I was like, I didn't hear what this guy's superpower is. Like he didn't speak to me about, he was speaking about day-to-day -day business, but it is, and, I, and I, when I, when I got home, I realized I was like, I think what his, his best use is he's a great money raiser. 
He was yeah. great at coming up with a concept and getting people to invest in him for the concept. He may not be a great day-to-day operator, but he's yeah. a great, you know, he was great. And I, and like, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we don't get to the right questions. We don't realize what it is, but I think that's the whole entire thing. Like where are we best suited? And if you're an innovator, um, then you have to be able to innovate three, four years down the road. And I think for you, for your purposes, you have so much data at this point, right? Like you, you're a management consultant, you were in other, you probably have the ability to really innovate, but how do you get to the point where you could just be doing that every single day? Yeah. And, and that's honestly, one of my biggest struggles right now is, is you said I'm patient, like, like where I'm not patient is like, I want to be there right now. And, and so ju- just understanding and, and trying to give myself a little grace that like, it is a process, right? And, and, and it's got to be about the process. It can't be just about the the end goal. Because if it's just about the end goal and you get there, then then you kind of say, well, yeah, well, you know, what's next? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm trying to just really like ground myself in that moment of like, look, you just kicked this thing off in earnest three months ago, right? Like we've made a ton of progress. We got three yeah. deals under contract. We're, we're raising a lot of money. We're, we're, we're getting great investor uh, feedback and and relationships but it's gonna take a little time yeah you know and and so like just just one like i've got a clear vision of where i want to be i just want to be there now i don't yeah, want, yeah. You know, I, that, that's the I, hardest part i understand that i'm patiently impatient every single day and yeah I, right the thing i have to keep telling myself and i think you should too is um when you get to the point where you think you want to be you'll want to be someplace else and like yeah. you know it just it just yeah probably who you are as a person and that's why you, you've grown so much so it's a it's a good problem not a bad problem right i know um, yeah it's just it's just about making sure that that i don't get too frustrated about it right yeah, so you got to maintain the right mindset yeah. and that, that's like so much of life right it's all about mindset and yeah well because i think frustration and situation will affect your decision making process and, and that would yeah. be the worst thing the worst thing that could happen right like i'm not yeah. thinking clearly because i'm just frustrated for the wrong reasons like that's right look back at what you've done um that's right Listen, I actually got a lot. I'm in the business for 20 years and I get a lot when I've spoken to you twice and I've got a lot. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Where can people get more of you or what you're talking about? Like, where's the best place to hear you speak or or get in touch with you? Yeah, there's two places, really. The first is my website, KentRitter.com. And you can get my blog, my podcast. I've got some resources for for new investors uh, there. So check them out. And uh, it's really oriented for for the passive investors so people that, that want to invest you know alongside folks like me and, and want to learn and feel comfortable in doing that because it's a it's a big commitment and so that's really what the website's all about okay. uh the other place you can find me is and you can find ralph there actually too is on my podcast uh which is ritter on real estate and uh ralph's episode actually it just posted uh, well, I think you were episode, last man, week. After, it was just last week. I want to say yeah. you're episode like 53 or so. So, uh, yeah, man. So you can find my podcast too. And again, my podcast really focuses on multifamily investing, but it's really oriented toward again, kind of the passive investor and the people that are trying to make decisions on how to judge a sponsor and a market and a deal. And like, my whole goal is to help you guys miss the mistakes that I made, like just skip over those, learn from me and, and move on. And it's awesome, man. And I appreciate you coming on and um, we'll definitely keep connecting and speaking in the future, but Absolutely. you gave great information. And um, again, thank you. I, I learned some, so I may be in touch on some certain things that, that I need some help on. I'd love to Ralph. Yeah, man. Happy, happy to help. And uh, yeah, this has been a great conversation. So thanks for having me on. All right, man. I will, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you. 
What a great podcast for Kent Ritter. He really dropped some gems on us on how he's building portfolios and how you can actually build a portfolio. He started with nothing really. From a different business came in, built a huge real estate portfolio. He really gave us some details on how you scale that business. And multifamily investing is an awesome strategy for real estate. And I hope you all got something from that. Stay tuned for the next Disruptors Network podcast.